Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my guest today is author and licensed clinical social worker Nathan Sellers. He's on the program today to talk about his new novel-slash-therapy book that reads like a Richard Paul Evans story. The life lessons learned by the story's main character can connect with all of us as we play in the arena of life. Let's do this. Nathan, welcome, sir. Thank you for for coming on today. I appreciate your time, and we wanted to talk about your brand new book. Yeah called sight what if you stayed blind after you died and that is a big the, the whole concept because most of us probably half the planet believes that once you die then you're you're back perfect right yeah and not so much with this this story so I, I'm, I'm gonna just i want to read the the what do they call this part on the book? back cover blurb back cover blurb <laughs> yeah. so we're gonna, we're gonna read that um just to get everyone who's listening a little glimpse on what this is all about. So it says, Robert's life as an art restorer is ripped away when he is blinded in an untimely accident. Depressed at the loss of his career and connection to his passion, he drowns in darkness. After his death years later, he is shocked to arrive in the afterlife still blind. Paradigms are shattered as he comes to understand that to have his sight restored, he will need to challenge his pessimistic myopic focus and see what he failed to see in life. Even before he went blind, will he spend eternity in a self-inflicted hell or will he abandon his lifelong blindness to see heaven? Sight takes you on a journey through pain, trauma, bitterness, and resentment to discover the power of forgiveness and healing by opening one's eyes to the good that always exists in the world around you. Again, sir, thank you for being here. Yeah. Is writing, is this something you that you have always kind of had a passion for outside of your uh, career as a licensed clinical social worker so um no it not entirely so when i um i've always kind of enjoyed writing to a degree um and with with my like about hmm, i'd say 10 12 years ago i had an idea for a book that i was like yeah i gotta write that i started working on it working on it and i kind of got lost and had to learn a lot about writing um, and so that was, that was a fun adventure, but I also got kind of frustrated because I didn't know where to go with the story. And then, and then about three, probably three or four years ago, I was driving, talking with my wife and that this idea for this book just hit me really hard of, you know, what, what would it be like if we got to the afterlife and it wasn't what we expected or what we've been taught or told. Yeah. And, and how hard would that be? Um, and then, and then started kind of ironing that out of like, well, what if, what if it was blindness and the blindness in the afterlife was because you weren't seeing the things that you, you know, could have seen in life. So it's that idea of like, man, what is the restoration process actually like? Is it an immediate process? 
we like we we love that idea of oh yeah once once you die you just know everything and everything's great and you're perfect and all that kind of stuff and i i actually think that's kind of bogus because i think it's still work i think there's still lots of growth that we have to make and so to create a story that illustrates that and really takes someone on a therapeutic journey um, of their own. Because I think Robert is a very relatable character. We all have those kinds of challenges in our life and healing from our own trauma is super important. So like, you know, the journeys he goes through, he, he doesn't actually see what's going on in his own life. When he's in, in his, before he passes away. Yeah, well, he's just, he's surrounded with good, but he doesn't see it because he's so stuck in his bitterness and resentment of not just losing his eyesight, which, you know, you can imagine if you're an art restorer, how important your eyesight is to your profession. Like you cannot do it without your eyes. And so to lose that, like just, just strips away really the main joy that he has left in his life. Yeah. The purpose for living and from his perspective. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing, but then the tie in all the other like real life kind of challenges and traumas that we, we all go through and the relationships that it affects and those who are helping and, and trying to, trying to build us up. Can we see it? Do we see the good in our life? Cause it's there. It's a, I guess yeah, yeah, that is a challenge because it's easy to focus on what we lack. It's like you familiar with the missing tile syndrome. If, if you imagine this grand palace in Rome, and it's it's the the ceiling has these immaculately embossed gold tiles, and there's one right in the middle that's missing. Mm. Your eyes going to go right to the one that's missing. And we do that. And I know we were just talking with my wife earlier about we don't see our own, mm-hmm. all the good that we've done or that have accomplished. We, we, we have a tendency to naturally just focus on, oh, well, you know, I, I ran that marathon, but you know, I only did 23 miles yeah. <laughs> instead of I did you're, you're, miles. Hy- you're hyper-focused on the three that you didn't do, but you're not grateful for the three the 23 you know so we do that all the time well and it's the idea of scarcity and abundance they exist simultaneously we all have an abundance in our life and we all have a scarcity in our life and what we choose to focus on is what we end up seeing so you know for example we could look at how we have uh despite you know challenges and sicknesses and whatever we have loving people around in our life into an abundance or we could focus on our poor health and what we lack and what we can't do and all that kind of stuff because of those things and it and our focus creates our reality because what you focus on grows Mm -hmm. yeah i'm reading a book called working with the law and it's basically the law of attraction and i've been exposed to that you know 15 years ago and I always thought it was kind of frou-frou, mm-hmm. but it's it's not. It's so real. Um, you, what ha- what comes to your life is what you expect. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to get your head around. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, that's easy. I can just expect better things. And you say it in your head, but like your subconscious is still 
saying, no, nah, nah, that's not you. That's for other people. Totally. I'm, I'm reading a book right now um, called You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza. Yeah, and it's fantastic. You know, it goes into the idea of like when we look at a placebo, we um, we think of it as is the reason why the medications are invalid. And when we when we start thinking about how the medications are invalid because of placebo, we're actually missing something absolutely remarkable in that the placebo worked. The placebo worked. Nothing was given and the healing effect happened. So what actually made it work? The belief that it would. The attitude. Yeah. So when we have that belief inside of ourselves that I can do something or um, things are good, guess what will actually happen? Our bodies can physically change when we change our beliefs. Yeah, I think it was a Henry Ford a quote attributed to him, whether he said it or not, it's irrelevant, but... It says, whether you think you can or cannot, either way, you are correct. Right. And that is so true. It is so true. We, it, If we just stop and think a little bit about, or just turn off the noise, I don't know. Yeah. So like, so Robert's instance, right? Like he gets into heaven and he's, he's in there and it's, for him, it's hell because he can't see, but it's his own doing. Right. No longer is it his physical eyes that he can't see with. It's his emotions. It's his perspectives. It's all that kind of stuff that's blinding him to what's actually there that he could see if he could do the healing to get there. Because he lacked the vision and couldn't see, Mm -hmm. which is, that's a real, but I see it. Yes, I see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, These characters in here all made up or are, are there some parallels to people in your life or are some of these based on your stories or is that classified is that secret no that's that's a good question uh i there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in here um you know some of robert's struggles are my struggles that's why it was easier to write (laughs) because you were because i know how robert would react to this um and, and some of it's still, you know, made up because I want to craft a story. But, you know, there's even some part of, uh, you know, his his brother-in-law that's also me. There's some part of his sister that's me. There's some part of, uh, you know, his his nephew that's me, right? And so there's, I, I'm throwing in pieces there. But then there's also like, you know, my, my own family and, and, and then just drawing upon my own experience as a mental health therapist, Right. As I'm working with people, I can see how they've had to go through different traumas and the effects that it's had on them. Um, and so I can plug those kinds of things in as well. So it's not any like one particular person, but it's drawing upon experience with, with humans. Is your, is this part of your therapy now when you, for your, your patients? I've had, I've had a few people read it now and, uh, it's, it's been interesting that how I can draw upon it, right? Like, I had, I have one patient who he's been stuck on how everything, you know, sucks in his life. And, you know, his, his parents are, you know, just mean to him. And, and it's like, no, no, that actually, that's not true. Um, and then when I, I was like, okay, you've got to read this. And at first he's like, this is dumb. You're making me read, you know, like, and then he gets done. Now I can talk to him like, you are blind. 
but not with your eyes. You're not seeing all the good around you and you need to actually slow down and take the time to see, but it's not just that easy, right? He's got, you know, loads of trauma in his life. And so, um, you, you've, you've got to start seeing how your trauma affected the way you see the world. And I think that's true for all of us. Like we all have different ways of, of seeing the world based on our life experience. Um, you know, I, I can even think of just in my own life, I haven't had any like real major trauma, but different traumatic kinds of things that, that shaped how I see myself, how I see my interactions with others and being able to come to terms with and understand, um, other people and their filters, right? The way and their projections onto me is not me. And, and that's huge. Like, like an example of that. Cause that's, that's really, that's important. Um, when people project, maybe we don't recognize it, but tell yeah. Me more about. So, um, an, an easy example, like all parents, right. Have their own background that kids can't see. Right? They just don't yeah. understand it. Like as, as a dad, my children, um, don't know really what my life was like. They don't know the experiences that I've gone through that really create the way I parent for good or bad. They most likely just don't like the bad, right? They're never going to like that for some, for some reason, right? Um, but the same is true on, on the other end. Like we don't see it as, as equally when, when we're a kid. So as I look at the way my parents parented me, there's some ways that they were really fantastic. And then there's other ways that really didn't help. Um, but for me to start learning that most of those things that didn't help weren't about me. They were about their life experiences and the challenges and traumas that they went through, that they have to work through. Um, and for me, like some of my healing from, from hard things was about, it's not my fault. I'm not a, I'm not a bad person person uh they were going through things too and now that i'm an adult i can actually now switch my perspective because i'm i'm older i'm more mature i have my frontal lobe is finally developed um completely and and so i can see my parents and and other people right i can see them through a different lens now i can see them oh you're a person yeah, you're human with flaws and struggles like everyone else. And then, and then that it shifts to compassion. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, you went through things that were harder than I went through, and for the most part, you're better than I am. Um, but there were some things that that really had an impact on me, and to be able to differentiate that, like, okay, your your projection onto me, your your mood, your attitude, your words are about you not about me. Now, they, they may interact with parts of me, but it isn't me. And we all do that to each other. We all project our own life filter onto other people and assume we're just 100% correct in that. Because that's the lens you look through, so it makes sense. Right. What if we could do that differently? Like, what if we could see people for really who they were instead of through our own life experience? We can if 
we would just take the time, but we're so busy. Like just for example, right now, mm -hmm. I've known you a little bit because you've worked with my wife for 12 years. Yeah. But I saw what you, you know, I saw this book and wanted to learn about what you, you know, the, the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Just asking people and getting to know them, trying to get to understand them, not fix or change them, but just to, and we don't do that anymore. Well, and have we ever? I mean, yes and no, yeah, right? True, like this is, it's a human <clears throat> skill. It's a powerful skill of, of relationships where we can learn to say, all right, I'm going to see you for you. As a clinician, this is probably one of the most, important things that I that I can do is to understand someone from their perspective. It may, yeah, if you, you know the backstory, then their behaviors make sense. Mm -hmm. And then you start to move into compassion, into understanding instead of judgment and criticism. And that's, I, I mean, it's such an enormous part of healing. I think none of us can really heal uh, without compassion whether that be compassion from someone else or compassion towards ourself. It's, it's critical. The, my, uh, my dad, I think this, I've self, I've diagnosed him and one day I actually hope he'll hear this, but he probably will never hear this so I can say it. But we thought we were, I was angry with him for 15 years, probably mm -hmm. after I left, you know, after I left college and got married and, because he would never put like my, our family, my family, my siblings' families as a priority. Mm. At least that's what it appeared. He would drive through my brother's town to go buy a piece of heavy equipment because that's kind of his thing and not even call my brother. Right. So we were bitching and moaning amongst each other for years and just frustrated with him. And I, I told him, I think I wrote him a letter one time and said it, it really just feels like you don't care about any of us. Mm -hmm. And he was just shocked because in his perspective, he's like, no, I totally love you guys. Mm -hmm. But his behaviors were saying exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And then having a, a child with, you know, similar behaviors, I looked at him and I said, I think, I think he's got a similar thing. I could never tell him that because mm -hmm. he would just deny it. Mm -hmm. But it helped me literally at that moment. I had the I had compassion. He's just struggling with what he has. Yeah. Doesn't even know it. He his parents did the best they could with him, and he did the best we could with us. Mm -hmm. And he's lost three wives, and he still doesn't hate humanity completely. Right. Um, so that helped me. Just from this point on, I will just get what I can out of him. Not because I'm trying to take it, but I will just accept whatever he has to offer. Yeah, and not my expectations are gone. Right. Which helped me. That was a healing moment for me, for sure. And that's huge to be able to see that, right? Like Robert has to go through some similar experiences to get to his place of forgiveness, right? Because forgiveness is is a, a pretty critical role in in our own healing, right? I don't think we can fully heal from our own traumas until we can actually forgive, and forgiveness, I think a lot of times we get stuck in this idea that forgiveness is um, telling someone that something is okay. It's okay. You know, I forgive you. And it isn't. It isn't okay. The very nature of saying I forgive you is saying that what you did was not okay. 
And forgiveness isn't necessarily for the other person. Oh, I think it's totally for the forgiver. Yeah. For I, I had to do that. And, and my, there, it was just a powerful moment for me. You know, a, a resentment that I'd held on to for 15, 20 years. Um, that was just, that it would eat away at me. It wasn't something that I would think about all the time. But it was something that I certainly, when I did think about it, it just stirred so much emotion and particularly anger. And when I made that realization of, oh, I see a bigger picture here. I shifted from anger to compassion and love and kindness. And it enabled me to forgive. Not that what happened was okay, but that I was not going to hold it against them or hold it in my heart any longer. I was going to move on. Well, isn't isn't the old the saying that says... Um, something about holding a grudge is like swallowing poison and hoping your enemy yeah, dies. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's the interesting thing is, is sometimes, I mean, most of the time when we're holding that in, the other person has no idea, none. It's only hurting us. And so, you know, for, for Robert in this story, that, that is a, a crucial piece of, his change because you know he has good reason to feel the ways that he's feeling but it also blocked him from being able to see the other elements of his life that were amazing yeah like the just the the sheer goodness around him and even and even others love towards him that he couldn't see yeah. or didn't appreciate yeah cuz i mean when he, when we feel um, loss or, or, uh, abandonment or, or unloved in some kind of way. And we hold on to that feeling. We start to see it all around us. Cause you expect to. Yeah. And so then we miss out on the thing that we need the most because we haven't tuned our filter to see what it is that we need. Well, that's the whole gratitude journaling thing. That's kind of trendy mm-hmm. now. Well, it's been trendy for at least, yeah. Over a decade, I mean, yeah. Oprah really made it a thing when you know she put that on her show of you know write three things you're grateful for every day. It works though, it really does. because, but, but I find myself, I make myself do it, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. But it does help you see, just just like right now, you and I are sitting in this office looking out at the mountains, and it's a sunny day, mm. and there's snow on them. Just that, just recognizing that mm-hmm. and saying it, it almost like it does something to you. Well, chemically it does. Yeah. Yeah, it changes your body. Because the thought in your head of, of gratitude actually creates a new chemical in your head, right? And then that chemical makes you feel differently. And as you're feeling differently, what does that do? Well, that creates new thoughts. Yeah. And then as we think those things, it creates new... And so we, we can shift that routine. So what we, what we think, we feel, and what we feel, we think. And we get to choose which way we want those cycles to go. Do we allow our perspective to paint our reality in a negative way? Or do we interrupt that? And do we choose to focus on something else that creates a different feeling inside of us? It's, it's, I mean, that's a lot of what um, this book 
my Joe Dispenza talks about that you are the placebo. It's like, yeah, the way you think and believe creates a change inside your body. Yeah. And you puts all the power in on you because mm-hmm. it's easy to think some external forces caused our life to be what it is, which mm-hmm. there are some. Yeah. So it's interesting. I knew what, what the title of my book was going to be before I even wrote it because it's, I really wanted to, to focus on this idea of sight. What is sight? Yeah. Like we think about what we can see with our eyes and that is the most limited form of sight I think we have. Cause even people who are blind can see. Yeah. Like they can hear. you know, I've, I've often thought if I were to lose a sense, which one would I lose? And for years it was, I don't think I could, or I don't think I could lose. I think sight would be the worst mm. or wait, no, where am I going with this? I think I would because, and maybe it's because I do a podcast now. I would rather, I think, be blind than deaf, mm. because I can hearing people. You can, I think, really get to their soul, whereas just Isn't seeing them, you know, yeah. like when you just close your eyes and listen to somebody, you tend to hear more about who they are. Well, and even more than just. And I'm not God. I'm not. I'm not. Them, right. I'm not <laughs> tempting. I like my them. eyes. Right. I'm in the art field too, to yeah. some extent. Yeah, so it's this idea of learning to to feel, learning to be present with, um, and slow down and take the time to really see it. What is it that you want this book to do for people? And maybe you said it already, but... Yeah, I... The, uh, the big goal of this book is to help people to see how they can heal in their own life. It's, it's taking them through really kind of a, a therapy session because it's so relatable and to, to start noticing what are the perspectives and beliefs and emotions that are blocking me from seeing all the good that is actually in your life to be able to heal and have that joy and that, that beauty in life that, that exists and hopefully not have to wait to do that until the afterlife. Right. Let's do that now. I think it's a lot easier and there's more to appreciate and enjoy. But healing's for broken people, Nathan. I mean, Mm, what about everybody? Why do I need, why do I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. What, you know, someone say everybody's broken. So you're saying everyone has a story. Everyone has, everyone has some challenge. Everyone. I preach that constantly. Mm -hmm. No one gets through no matter how many zeros are in your bank account or whatever. Everyone has something. And sometimes the more zeros you have, the more broken you probably are. You just have zeros on the end of your problems. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's huge. Like, when we take when we take the time to um, take care of ourselves, right? Really slow down. Let's take care of our spirits, our souls, right? Like that that just mental health self care. We expand our capacities. We become more capable. I mean, you think about you think about you know. I've been, I've been doing some YouTube videos for mental health or not mental health, um, healthcare workers lately. And, and they're just, they're overworked, 
right? I mean, COVID has wreaked havoc on, on that whole world. They're, they're just overworked and they're tired and they're, they've got their own trauma. And, and there's just little things that we could do to shift that where now life doesn't feel like um, a prison or a, or a hamster wheel. Or just, yeah, just treading water because when you're, mm -hmm. you can't see, when you're treading water, you can't see how beautiful the water is. Yeah, yeah, because you're terrified, right? Because <laughs> you're terrified of, of going under. Mm -hmm. And so it's that idea of like, man, beauty exists all around us, but sometimes we just have to slow down and um, and see it. Sometimes we have to slow down and, and breathe to allow our body to recuperate, right? We need to purge a lot of that that negative energy and negative thinking in order to function a little bit like, cause there's just so much beauty in life. Even, I mean, uh, in the book city of joy, uh, where it talks about India and all this stuff in, in India, like there's terrible, terrible conditions in, in India, but there's still joy and love and compassion and all that kind of stuff there, despite the depravity. So if we take care of ourselves and care of each other, beauty exists. So why do you think, I mean, it, it, do you think this perspective is just over the whole population or, I mean, where I'm going? Is it some grand design to keep people down, to keep them in that rut? Or I, I, don't, I don't even know if I don't even know if I know where I'm going with that question. Yeah, I, you know what I grand design. Uh, I I don't think it's any kind of nefarious anyone like trying to keep people down. Although that has existed in in human history, I I think we develop a tendency to do that. We just. You know, some of us may be more prone to that. You know, I've struggled with anxiety and I've struggled with depression in my own life. And um, I think m more in, uh, I don't want to say naturally, but I mean, I, m my knee jerk is to see the negative. And the more I focus on that, the more of it I see. And, and, and that fuels depression. But when I make conscious efforts to see the good and to point out the good and to recognize my emotions as temporary, then beauty floods in. It just floods in. And I start to see it more and more and, and love and compassion and empathy and stuff fill into my heart. And, and, then, and then life is meaningful. So what if someone is in such a dark place that they just do not see there's any way. I mean, is this a lifelong process? Or is this something you just learn one day and, and then you're good? Yeah. If someone's so... I wish it were that black and white. Uh, and I, I have great compassion for those who who suffer with real clinical depression, right? It's just not your your turn-of-the-mill sadness, right? There's There's a chemical thing going on inside you that's really affecting the way you think. Um, it isn't as simple as, well, just think more positively and you'll feel better. It isn't that it there. 
there's so much more to that, that healing process. And sometimes it requires people around you to shift that. You know, our environments do shape our realities. You know, I, I have some friends who are incredibly positive and, you know, always looking at the bright side and just friendly and all that kind of stuff. And when I'm around them, I'm like, bask in it. You know, I just love it. And it's easier for me to be so. Um, whereas if I'm around people who are being really negative, I kind of get pulled into it. That also, yeah, you're affected by both. Yeah. And and to to become aware of that um, that energy allows you to not be a victim to it. You start to make choices around it. So, you know, am I surrounded by people who are being negative and all that kind of stuff? Okay, well, do I make a choice to distance myself from that? And sometimes we feel trapped in that, maybe because it's like our family members and and we're stuck in that and and but sometimes it's our friends and we can make a decision to say guess what i actually don't need this person in my life i may think i do but this person in my life is actually bringing me down i'm going to i'm going to purposely create my environment i'm going to be intentional and if if you're super depressed and you're feeling that and you recognize man the people i'm around aren't helping make a conscious choice Find people who are positive and be around them. That doesn't mean you're going to be like instantly positive. Yeah. But it it's, you know, it's the waters you're swimming in that, that start to create the healing. So you have to change your physical and mental zip code. Mm-hmm. It's the mental part that's, uh, that that's the, it can be hard. That's the challenge. Um, Carl Jung and I'm going to mess up the quote, but Carl, Carl Jung said something about, um, he talked about our subconscious and our conscious. And, um, when we, when we can make our unconscious and our subconscious conscious, then we can do something about it. But our, our subconscious and our conscious really do create our, our realities. And if we want to change that, we actually have to bring it to the conscious. We have to take the time to think about it. So what are the thoughts and beliefs that lead to my depression? What are the thoughts and beliefs that lead to my anxiety? What are, you know, what are those things? And to bring them up. And that's, that can be a hard thing, right? Having someone to ask those questions for you, to help you dig into those, you know, deeper places in your, in your mind, in your heart, um, is super helpful. I mean, I, I'm, I'm biased, but I, I recommend people seeing a therapist to help them. It's an assisting kind of thing. Like if you if you were physically hurt in something uh, and you needed to get physical therapy to be able to improve that that function of your body, you would do it. Yeah, there's no question. You maintain your car and your body, and but, but we don't because do of the stigma, or mm-hmm. just the stigma. How long have you been in this industry? Fifteen years. So this, yeah, the stigma is. It's now almost trendy to say you have a therapist. Yeah. And you're cooler. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, depending on where you are, but um, having someone to kind of hold your hand through that process is important. And I say that on purpose because of kind of the context of the book. Um, but holding your hand through it, um, asking you those deeper questions to get you to look and explore why is it? that I think this way? 
why am I choosing to have this perspective? And um, when I when I do that, um, I'm better able to consciously now make decisions. Right? Like the way as I, I interact with each of my chi- my children is going to be different because um, they're they're very different, you know, personalities. And sometimes I'm seeing them through my own filter of like, you know, my own life and how things should be. Um, and then w- when I'm able to step out of that and and see them for them and what they need, instantly I'm like a better dad. I, mean, I had an experience with, with my son just last night. I, like walking in from work, something happened that he didn't like and he just melted down crying and kind of like one of those ridiculous reasons to cry, like his sister was sitting in the chair that he wanted kind of thing, right? But meltdown. Well, that's an earth-shattering yeah, incident. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrific. How and old is he? Nine. Okay, yes. Um, and, and, and I've been learning more about him and his capacities and all that kind of stuff. Instead of just being frustrated with him, I just went over and picked him up, carried him to another room so there's no audience and everything like that, and just sat with him. Like I had a conscious focus. I'm going to do a heart to heart connection with my son right now and see what he needs, not what I need. Yeah, and from your adult perspective, you're like, dude, just suck it up. It's a chair. Mm-hmm. But in his world, monumental yeah, is everything, yeah. <laughs> right? For some reason, and so to just be present with him and to hold him while he's you know repetitively crying about the thing that he's not getting. And I, it allowed me to shift my mindset. Like, okay, well, he's not me. That's okay. We project on our kids big time. Yeah. So I stopped doing that, you know, in a moment of good dadhood. (laughs) Chuck that one up. Yeah. Good job. me. (laughs) That's your gratitude book. (laughs) Um, And to just be present with him and to, to love on him and to hold him and to squeeze him and and then to engage him in a way that allowed him to slowly recover. I spent some time teaching about his body and, you know, engage a different part of his brain and, and to the point where he was smiling and he was able to go and eat dinner and not have to sit in his seat. But that, you know, that took 15 minutes and everyone else ate dinner in the time where if I had been pressed for time and, you know, we got to do it this way and get really rigid in that, which tends to be my my typical, um, I would have missed that opportunity to connect with him on a heart-to-heart level and and have him feel of my love. And that will that will last for a long time. Yeah. And and the other things last a long time too. Right. Yeah. Oh, when I react the, yeah. poorly. Oh yeah. And so what do I want to last in his mind? Not just about me, but about him. How do I want him to be thinking about himself long-term? And I think I'd rather have him think that he's an okay person instead of he's done something wrong and is, has a deficit of some sort. Yeah, something, yeah, exactly. How, how long did it take you to write this book? So I had the idea, um, and I kind of stewed the idea over, and I started doing a little bit of research. So once I started writing, I started writing in February of twenty. And then COVID hit uh, the next month. Really. What's that? Yeah, that's gone. That's that's over now. We did, can did hope. you get the Did you get the memo? I got the memo. It's, yeah, it's I'm, over. I'm enjoying not Sorry. wearing a mask all the time. Um, but but it was 
I, I wrote, I mean, I, I'm full-time therapist. So I was, um, I was, I started writing in February of 20 and I finished my first draft in February of 21. And I'd have, you know, I'd write for an hour in the morning during that time. And I just drop in the bucket bit by bit. 1%. Yeah. Getting it done every day. 1% over time gets to 100. Yes, it does. So to publish, or like, how do you, how do you, how, this is on Amazon. How do you, how does one get a book on Amazon? Well, yeah. So uh, I tried to go through that traditional publishing kind of realm, um, but that is such a stiflingly slow process. And I've got a lot of goals about how I want to help the world heal, right? Um, big, big dreams for that. And I, I just, want to make sh- I wanted to to put it out before the end of 21. I thought you were going to say before the end of the world. Yeah, no. <laughs> and so I as as you know, I was getting into like August and September and I'm like uh people aren't responding really to queries cuz that just takes a long time, especially for a first-time author and all that kind of stuff with with not a huge platform. Um and so I just decided, all right, I'm going to go the self-publishing route. And um, Amazon has uh, a publishing, it's a Kindle Direct Publishing, where you really just submit your work and they print it on demand. Um, they don't have to like approve it. You, you just submit it and you just, submit it, it. You just pay. and Yeah. You really don't even pay all that much. Um, you have to do all your other work, right? Like copywriting and all that kind of stuff. But they don't, you just submit your work. Is that the, is Amazon, I assume there are other avenues if you want to do something There are like other self-publishing avenues. Um, I think Amazon's probably the easiest. Um, I don't know that it's the best, It's but it's certainly easy. And because, you know, I, I think I'm a, I'm a decent writer. Um, I, you know, I had an editor who could kind of go through and, and help me out with a few things um, to get it really good. I also have a writing group that's really done a lot for me to, to help, you know, get to where my story is now it's actually funny i was what i thought was coming to a conclusion and and i shared it with my writing group and this sounds great nathan this is really good and, you know it sounds like you're just about done with your second act like oh <laughs> and i think that actually the the last third of the book is the best part yeah you know that was the part agree. that that uh came after that and so there's just that was a, an awesome process now the process of publishing is is really interesting because now all the marketing is on me, right? Like to, to get the word out there to, you know, I, I'd love to have to sell 10,000 copies and to really get it out there um, because I think it's a really powerful book. I think it has that effect to be able to really change people's perspectives and, and uh, help them heal. Well, it changed mine. That's why you're here. Yeah. Because I, I read that and, and I know I told you this before. I read a lot of Richard Paul Evans books because they just hooked me in and the stories are emotional and tear jerking. And, and I've told you before this, that yours was reminding me of that style. Mm. So you're, you know, you've got, you're good. Yeah. You're like Richard Paul Evans thank, Jr. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's high, high praise. Like he's got 40 New York times. So you, you yeah, know, you got, I'm almost there. You're there. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone who's listening, go buy the book. Cause it's like, it's, it's just good. It is good. It is very good. And it's so, I, it, you know, like you said, the trans, people through a healing process is if 
you can see yourself in it, and that's why we can all see ourselves in it, mm-hmm. it's powerful. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm excited too because, you know, finishing my first book shifted my thinking. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, fun, a fundamentally different person now than I was two years ago. How so? My vision is grander. You know, I, I loved writing. I loved it. It was fantastic to get into that creative process was like, I, you know, I'm an artist. Um, and, um, to, to really get to that place of like, I'm creating a story was just phenomenal. Like I loved it. And, and I've always had, like, when I was a kid, I, you know, I would watch a television show on, on, uh, like discovery or history channel or whatever it was movie magic. And the idea of like, creating something start to finish like a movie or or whatever um is so amazing like that's that's a dream that i have of like i'd love to be in in make a movie make a film of something yeah Yeah. just to tell a story that moves people yeah all parts of it like the the music that goes in the background the the visual effects like the character development creating all the senses all of it of it it's so deep for me but then like something that's just been huge for me is this idea of I, I want to help people heal in, in whatever way that I am capable of. And I want to not just, you know, I've, I've been a, a mental health therapist in a residential treatment center for 13 years. Um, and I love that. I love that work. I love working with families and helping them grow. And, and I just look at it as like, okay, how can I help even more? I want to be able to help millions. And you can't you can't do that just in an office with two or three people. Nope. Um, so that's why I, you know started my blog. That's why I started my YouTube channel and um, and trying to get it out there. And I want to keep writing books. I'm already working on my next one. Um, that the goal is to help people change their perspectives and heal and grow and become better and help others become better. Well, it's a good thing I have millions and millions of listeners. Yeah, it is. It is a good idea. So we can get your story out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. This is like a win-win. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you, that you want to share about this message that, you, that you've created here? And then maybe we can touch on your second book, too. We can get a little teaser on that one. Yeah. Um, I, the biggest thing is our focus creates our reality, period. Our focus creates our reality. And if you don't like your reality, change your focus and you have the capacity to do so. Um, it may require work. It may be uncomfortable. I would say it will. It, it There's will. no may. I think it's it a will. will create, yeah, it, it requires work. Um, it requires support, um, and it requires self-compassion, but it really just comes down to your focus creates your reality. So many gardening themes. Oh yeah. If you water it, it's going to grow. If you don't, it's not. So true. Which goes into kind of, you know, my next, my next book that I'm working on. Well, I do, I have a children's book that's going to come out here probably in a month or so. I'm finishing the illustrations for it right now. And you do the illustrations as well because you mm-hmm. said you were an artist. Yeah. Like illust- illustration is your thing? No. 
Uh, but it is now. I'm doing it. I mean, I I got my associates in fine art before I became a therapist, and um, I I wanted to pick a different style than I'm used to painting, because uh, I tend to get really tight and perfectionistic, and um, so I decided I'm going to do acrylic paint, and I can only do it with a palette knife. Oh, so very loose, very and, loose and painterly. Very loose, and they're actually you know fairly small paintings too, so I can't I can't get tight. I like, I'm really pushing myself, but it's a very emotional piece. And it's a, it's a journey, um, of, of a client that I had, um, his journey from childhood through, you know, adolescence into treatment and healing all the, the trauma and stuff that he kind of went through and, and how that opened him back up to be his, his real self again. And just being able to relate to each other of like, how do, how do we, how do the things around us shape us? Um, and how do we take our masks off and be our vulnerable self and heal? That's uh, kind of what it's about. It's the title of that one is He Flies Again. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited about because some of the illustrations. It's, it's very children's booky. Yeah. Cool. Uh, in the illustrations. Um, but that's fun. And then my next one, you know, I'm just, just getting started. I'm only a couple chapters in, um, my working title on this one is rooted. Okay. But what I want to explore in this one is rigidity. As people, we, when we become rigid, like when we're stuck in our own perspectives and it has to be a certain way and all that kind of stuff, how does that affect our relationships and how do we learn to become more flexible and understanding, um, and to see how that shifts our life. So that's that's the idea behind that one. I like it. I'm looking forward to the next two. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing this. This has been it's been a great read for me, and I'm gonna brag about it all over the place. What are your uh, your blog? Tell so me how to how can people reach you? Yep, my blog is. Uh, writingonpurpose.org. Okay. That's writing with a W. Um, and, and then my YouTube channel is just Nathan Sellers author. Very good. Okay. And you said writing with a W, but write, it could be both because you're writing something you're writing. Yeah. A so wrong I'm, maybe. I'm, yeah. I'm writing on purpose and that's, uh, that's a twofold meaning. So I'm, I'm writing on purpose. Like I'm doing it for a reason. But I'm also writing about purpose. Very good. Yep. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.